Welcome back to the Worship and Technology Podcast. My name's Christian, and I'm part of the team here at Multitracks.com. Now, I'd love for you to imagine for a moment that I'm able to give you personally a gift. That I could gift you a private one-on-one masterclass in worship leading with one of the world's best. The type of conversation that not only challenges a seasoned worship leader, but also packages a ton of insight and wisdom to help those that are fresh into their journey too. I really believe that today's episode is that gift for you. Our job is to help them find a way from there to where God is. And I feel like we have to be aware of that. Honestly, Jad Gillies needs little introduction. He's a phenomenal songwriter, worship leader, and a member of Hillsong United. In today's episode, Jad not only shares his story of how he found his way into his position at Hillsong, but he also unpacks his philosophy for worship leading. And here's a spoiler alert, it's all about people. Jad shares why people are so important and why as a worship leader you need to connect with the people in the room and understand the people that you're leading. In any context, whether it's on a live stream, in your home church or on the road, that connection with people is crucially important. In fact, Jad goes as far to say that worship leading is only needed because people need leadership. It's a great conversation, one that I would encourage you to grab a notepad, sit down and glean from Jad's years of experience of worship leading. My hope is it will challenge you, equip you, but also cause you to rethink and reframe the way that you're leading worship during this season. Well, Jad, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having us. Apologies that it's so late in the evening for you, but it's perfect right in the middle of the morning for me. So I appreciate you. There's some conversations which are easy to coordinate from the UK, but (laughs) Australia to the UK is never easy to do, right? (laughs) Well, Jad, I don't think we need to give you any introduction. People are going to know you as an incredible songwriter, worship leader from Hillsong, part of United. But I'd love for you to unpack a little bit of your journey on how you found yourself at Hillsong. Are you originally from the Sydney area or what does that story look like? Yeah, I grew up in New Zealand in a small town called Hastings, which is on the east coast of the North Island of New Zealand. So it's very small and very (laughs) kind of, you know, rural. (laughs) But uh, I grew up in a church there. My mum got saved when I was 10. I kind of got dragged along to church there and I got involved. Eventually, I loved music. And so I got involved with the worship team there and and obviously, you know, uh, the youth group and things like that. Same old story as, as probably many people. But I got involved with, you know, the worship team because I just loved music. And there was one um, particular, this is kind of a significant kind of moment looking back, was I had a youth leader who was also the worship pastor. Like if anyone's from a small church, you'll know what that's like. So uh, <laughs> she would always ask me to come to our small groups and lead the singing. But I would always refuse and say, no, nah, I'm a guitar player. Like I don't do... I'm not a worship leader, I'm just a guitar player. But then she she ended up tricking me by saying, well, why don't you just come and start the song off and then we'll just sing. And then if we go to a chorus or something, you can just tell us that we're going to the chorus. And then, so I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. I don't see a problem with that. Little did I know that she just tricked me into being a worship leader. (laughs) (laughs) So that was kind of like how I got involved with leading worship. You know, and, and as the years went on, you know, obviously, I was a young man, you know, playing sports and being in bands and and kind of doing a journey of figuring out my own salvation, things like that. 
and I, I wanted to go into the military. I, I'm quite a practically minded guy, so I wanted to be an engineer, and I thought, oh, if I go into the military, that's kind of a good way to do it. Um, this was before, you know, like 2001 and, and all those kinds of things. So I remember a careers ad- advisor at school kind of, he said, well, what about that that school, that Christian school in Australia you've told me about? Like, why don't you have a look at that? And then he was, of course, talking about Hillsong College. And so I left school and I, I worked for a while. And then I end of 2001, I left for Sydney, Australia to do the Hillsong College, the worship stream there. It was a massive eye-opener. I'd always listened to Hillsong music. I'd always, you know, kind of really loved what, what Hillsong did. I loved that when I watched their videos or their songs, I saw Marty, who was the same age as me. I saw Joel, who was the same age as me. And they were involved in something so massive and they were trusted. And that really appealed to me that someone my age at the time could actually be involved in something so significant. And so that really appealed to me. So I came over. I actually didn't know what it would look like. I knew that it was kind of a a big place, a big school, and that we, you know, like everybody wants to kind of find their purpose and all that kind of thing. And and college was great. I mean, it was a it was a great kind of eye opener. But uh, for me, just being immersed in the culture of the church and being immersed in in kind of serving, I guess I got involved with the worship team, the creative team, and the youth ministry. So I became a youth leader, and I was serving, you know, in the creative team. And to be honest, at the time I was single. I had no debt. I had no kids. I had no. So I just made a decision. I have the luxury of being able to just give as much of my time as I can. And so that's basically what I did. Um, I did one year of college. And then when I finished, I got a job locally building gardens and things like that. And I basically just was at church every day after work, doing youth ministry stuff, doing creative department stuff, whatever I could kind of get involved in is what I was doing. And interesting thing about, you know, kind of being available is, is when people, when opportunities pop up at the last minute, it's those who are available that get the opportunity. It's never like this poignant moment where like the opportunity gets handed down from above and there's this kind of, you know, ceremony where you receive your opportunity. It, that never happens. What usually happens is, you know, things change or an opportunity pops up or they need somebody to kind of help or whatever. And those who are not available don't get the opportunity. It's just as simple as that. And so there were a few kind of things that happened at church where they just needed an acoustic guitar player and I was just there. So okay, yeah, old mate with the big hair, you get up and play acoustic, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> and that's literally kind of the story. Uh, the funny thing about our church, and, and I think churches all around the globe, is that we operate on a last man standing kind of principle and that it's seldom ever like everybody's first choice that gets the opportunity. It's It's really the person who's still there when the season changes or when the opportunity comes. And, you know, me and my friends like JD, him and I, uh, and his brother, Tim, we often joke about the fact that we were nobody's kind of first choice. We, we just kind of got opportunity because we just managed to like stick around and stay and outlast, you know, and I feel like there's a lot of lessons there. You know, people often think that, you know, it has to be this big formal thing. It, it seldom ever is. You kind of step into something because you're available and and you're willing to serve and you're willing to give your best and still be there when everyone else has quit. So I think that's kind of how I got involved. And, you know, like, as I said, I was a landscape gardener, so I was building retaining walls and things like that. And 
I got a phone call from Phil Dooley. Mm-hmm. You know, this is way back in 2003 saying, hey, would you play guitar and, and sing VVs at a festival we've, that United's got to go to? And by then, I was involved in the youth ministry. I mean, basically what happened with the youth ministry was the guitar player would not show up. So then they'd call and go, hey, guitar player didn't show up. Can you play guitar? So I'd be like, yeah, that's no problem. And then that would happen a couple of times. And then someone would go, hey, um, we need someone to sing like a song during the, you know, a special item or whatever. And can you do, can you sing a, you know, a Coldplay song or whatever it was? And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And then it was like, hey, um, we need somebody to roster the band because that guy's moved away. So I'll be like, yeah, no problems. I'll do that. And then it was like, hey, um, can you do this? Can you do that? And it just snowballs to the point where you're in, involved, you're right in the thick of it, and all you did was just be available. So wow. I feel like you know that's how I ended up on my first trip with United was a music festival in New Zealand. Later that following year, you know, my first tour was to Canada, and then basically I haven't really missed one since in 17 years. So. Wow. <laughs> it's funny how really you know people think that it's this kind of like this coming of age moment where you kind of seize your opportunity but it's seldom ever like that we so you've been there for 17 years now you're now on staff at hillsong uh yep i've been on staff for 15 years now 15 years. working you know i started out as the youth worship pastor that was a funny thing too because phil called me and said hey can you come to my house and I thought I was in trouble, like I was wrecking my brain about what what have I done, you know, like have I done something that I could, you know, and then I get there and he offers me a job. So, <laughs> so that was kind of cool. But yeah, so I started as the youth worship pastor and eventually got more involved with the creative side. So I became the Hills Campus creative pastor. At one point, I oversaw all of our production and technical, like creative technical for Australia. That was a, that was an awesome journey. Wow. Amazing. Uh, again, just, you know, one of those things where you just, you're there and they need somebody. So, you know what I mean? Like it's, right now, and I've done this for a few years now, I oversee the platform for our church, which basically is anything that comes off the platform musically or, you know, like that kind of thing. Uh, that's my responsibility. And so, you know, that's training of worship leaders, musicians, that's making sure you know, because we have so many different locations, so making sure that we're yeah. building teams to service those locations every weekend and, yeah. and the quality of, of, of what's coming off the platform at each of those locations, I guess it's kind of hard because you're working through a lot of people. But, yeah, that's generally what I, what I do at the moment. And it's really cool. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a challenge, but it's really rewarding because you're working with a lot of people. So what does your week-to-week, your day-to-day look like in that role? Obviously, it's really intensive at the weekends, but what does it look like Monday through Friday? Well, it's... A lot of it's making sure, you know, we kind of have a plan for each of the campuses, but mainly, you know, obviously we have, well, how would I say this, like a global presence, I guess. We have yeah. a lot of our services go straight onto YouTube. A lot of our services are live streamed. So we're working on kind of including the right people and kind of creating opportunity for those who we're trying to develop. We're trying to just get better at what we do. We're trying to understand this broadcast, you know, just the whole broadcast audio is different to live audio and and really trying to bridge the gap, not only with our musicians, but with our audio staff and things like that. So a lot of it is just kind of getting ready for for the weekend, but also trying to kind of move forward as a team, have a plan that's kind of more sustainable, developing people and, and trying to kind of grow that team, you know, like 
because if it's just me and JD and Taya leading worship in five years, then we kind of failed our discipleship test. So <laughs> so we're trying to grow and bring through as many kind of young worship leaders as possible and use the avenues that we have locally to do that. I love hearing just the intentionality behind passing that on to next generation. And I think it carries so much more weight when someone has journeyed themselves. So it's an incredible journey that you've unpacked yeah. and to see other people kind of following through. So what's your number one kind of go-to advice that you give to aspiring up-and-coming worship leaders as they get involved in Hillsong, taking the sum of your experience? What's kind of the nuggets that you pass on to those guys? Yeah, there's a couple. Firstly, don't try and rush it. You know, like an expert gets their 10,000 hours and you can't rush that. It's like I can tell you 10 technical things that you could work on right now, but that's just going to fill your head full of things that probably that are going to distract you from the things that you really should be thinking about right now, which is the people that you're leading. Okay. And I, I feel like the advice we give fresh worship leaders or people who are kind of developing, but they're definitely less experienced is just put yourself in the congregation's shoes. How do you want to be led? It's cool at youth to bring the energy and the fire and the intensity. But when a 17-year-old kid gets on stage at church and starts yelling at the congregation, it's just a different environment. So you've got to know your people. You've got to know your audience. We do this kind of like conversation, like a talk through about an end user, you know, like, yeah. you know, so and really kind of think about the people that are in our church as the end user or, I mean, it's not exactly a kind of a church term, but it's a great way to get your head and get you, you know, your perspective, think about what you're up there for. I mean, as far as worship leading goes, we have worship leaders because people need leadership. That's the really the only reason. We don't have worship leaders because we're trying to pump out some Christian celebrities. It's just not, it's just yeah. not, you know what I mean? Like we have worship leaders because people, sometimes they just need leadership. So understand what people need and then meet that need. We're telling people to be invitational in their leadership. You know, obviously, I've been leading in our church for a long, long time. I have a lot of trust. So when I challenge the congregation on whatever, I have a lot more kind of credibility and trust. Whereas a 17-year-old kid who's just come in, they're just not going to take that from him, you know. So, yeah. But if I'm him, I change my approach. I would be more invitational. So instead of commanding them to lift their voice or lift their hands, I would use phrases like, would you lift your hands? You know, would you sing? When you humble yourself, people will respond to you. Whereas if you kind of come across arrogant and proud, they, they would literally fold their arms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's kind of just trying to create an awareness for people who are leading other people. Just put yourself in those people's shoes and figure out what it is that they need. We have a little equation. My little equation is if they can connect with you, then the chances are is that they will trust you. And if they trust you, they will follow you. But if they can't connect with you, they won't trust you. And if they don't trust you, they will not follow you. So wow. it's kind of like a smile like takes nothing. Yep. Uh, being approachable is kind of one of the biggest gifts and the biggest skills of being a worship leader, being somebody that like is friendly enough to be approachable. Yep. And I think that we often kind of don't put place enough value on just on our countenance, on how we kind of come across and the smile and, I always say, look, if you think that you smile a lot when you worship lead, I want to encourage you to look at the footage of yourself worship leading. That's across the board. That's that's me too. Like Because you think you're being so passionate and being whatever, but you just look grumpy, you know? So, um, <laughs> And that's grumpy Jad as well, you know? like <laughs> So it's just an awareness thing, an awareness of how you're coming across, but also an awareness of the people that you're leading and what they need. 
I love how people focused that whole model of leadership is and exactly what you're saying. So as someone that leads worship in different places and has traveled the world, does that change your leadership then when you're walking into a room where people, you may not have that currency with people or you don't know them or you don't know how to read the room? How does that play out in your leadership outside of Hillsong Church? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would change. I would tailor my approach basically to serve whatever room I'm in, you know, because sometimes you can, if you go to a church, they'll introduce you as some big shot, you know, and to be honest, that works against you. Like, here's this big shot. He's going to come and like lead us in worship. And you're like, wow, thanks for that. (laughs) Now I have to establish that I'm not here for me. I'm here so that we can fellowship together and that we can be in the presence of God. So now I have to establish that this isn't about me. This is about us giving praise to God and, and receiving, you know, like when we magnify the name of Jesus, we, we you know, we, we build our faith. So it's about establishing those kind of things. So I walk into a situation like that. I'll be quick to say, you know what, we gather in the name of Jesus. We don't gather in the name of Hillsong. We don't gather. You know what I mean? I'll be yeah. really quick to kind of establish these things so that they know beyond the shadow of a doubt. Look, I don't care about I'm not here for me. Uh, like I want us to go into worship together, you know. And so I'll definitely tailor my approach every time. Sometimes they have no idea who you are, right. and it's like they're like, "Well, who's this guy?" So in that case, what I would do in that situation is I would more align myself with them as one of them. You know, we're right. all here. We all need Jesus. When we magnify God, you know, like we see Him for who He is, and then we grow our faith, or Thanksgiving gets the attention of God, or whatever it is. I would mm. put myself in the same. You know, I'd be like, we all need the, however you would do it. Um, I I would basically just throw myself in and go, look, we're all in this together. Let's go after God. Because what I've realized is the minute you take yourself out of the equation, you become much more useful, I think. And the minute you're not pushing a wheelbarrow with, you know, your agenda in it, people have no problem trusting you. So I just really try and make it obvious that, look, I don't care about the name of Jad Gillies. I care about the name of Jesus, you know what I mean? And to be honest, that's been my approach. So wherever I am, wherever I go into, I try and figure out how best to get these people. Because if you don't mind me saying this, because you just don't know who's in the room. Like there's people who come into church and they, you just don't know what their week's been like. They could have had the, the most horrific week ever. They might be dealing with loss or, you know, grief or depression or anxiety or whatever it is, but they've made their way into church and they're kind of bound up by it. They just, they've been obedient or they know that they should be in church. So they've come into church, but they don't quite know how to get from this kind of bound up state where they're completely absorbed and distracted by what's going on. Right. And our job is to help them find a way from there, you know, to where God yeah. is. And I feel like, we have to be aware of that. You have to understand that that's what a worship leader does. And so I feel like we just have to have that understanding. So when I walk out onto the platform to lead worship, I'm always thinking about who's in the room, mm. you know, like who needs God the most. The person who needs God the most is the person who cannot find him or has no idea how to reach yeah. out from where they are, you know, because think about it. Like if you're on edge, you're distracted, you're depressed, you're whatever. It's really hard to reach out to God that you can't see and be vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? So it takes really? faith. So for me, I really put a lot of value in the songs that we sing, making sure that the words of the songs line up with what the Bible says about God, you know, because, you know, if faith comes through hearing of the word about Jesus, then I want people to hear themselves confessing the word about Jesus. Wow. Because I feel like there's nothing more powerful than hearing yourself confess that. 
those truths. And so I feel like if you come in bound, if you come in, you know, crippled by fear or doubt or whatever it is, but then you start to confess the word about Jesus, the Bible says it. The Bible literally promises that when that faith comes through the hearing of the word about Jesus. So then all of a sudden we're helping people get to a place of faith where maybe they wouldn't have actually reached out and you know put their trust or been vulnerable to a God that they cannot see. But when you hear that word about Jesus, you receive faith. And so that's kind of understanding who's coming in the room, but also understanding how the presence of God works, understanding how God wants to be approached. Yeah. I think that's important. And that's helping people kind of find God where they're at. And so I feel like, you know, young worship leaders, just if they really put kind of their efforts into being genuine when they're, when they're up there, I think the 10,000 hours takes care of any of the technique related issues that right. you might come across. So good. So let's talk about this season now that we're in. Yeah. Craziness ensuing across the world. And I don't know, what is it? Back in February, March time now, we all had to pivot in the way that we did church and we couldn't meet together <laughs> in rooms. And things yeah. took a little while for some churches to work out what we were doing and how we were doing it. So, from someone whose style of leadership is so people orientated and it's so about leading people in the room to that moment, how have you been navigating leading worship and leading your teams in this season when we can't gather? What's that looking like at Hillsong? Yeah, I think it took me a few weeks to realize that, you know, when people come to church and they're in the building, they've come into our, they've come into the building, they've made a decision to be there. And there's a certain kind of amount of, I mean, you can compel them in certain ways to respond in certain ways corporately. But the big kind of realization for me was that they weren't in our room anymore, that we had been invited into their homes. Wow. And so that requires a little bit of a shift in perspective when it comes to how we interact with people because, you know, when somebody's in the room, when somebody's in the auditorium and we're leading them in worship, they're kind of there. There's not really, there's nowhere they can go. But when you have been invited into somebody's room via their computer screen, like you're one click away from catch you later. And so I understand, I kind of got the feeling and got the understanding pretty quickly that if we're forceful through the screen, people just kind of go, oh, I'm in my pajamas, I'm on my couch, I kind of need to put up with this. Oh, yeah. so, <laughs> so we figured out that, you know, rather than being forceful, be worship, be genuine, you know, kind of encourage people to join in and be a part of it simply by just making it real for ourselves. And so we tend to not kind of stare down the barrel of the camera and kind of try and compel people to sing or do whatever it is that that we want them to do, but rather kind of just let people know where we're going and then just be really worshipful, but make it real, make it genuine (laughs) and just, you know what I mean? Like, so it's just a different thing. It's, um, I would rather somebody sit and listen and be encouraged by that than kind of get annoyed with us trying to make them stand up and lift their hands in their lounge room. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like you've just got to kind of realize, again, it's about kind of trying to figure out who it is that you're leading or who it is that's out there and and figure out what they need. Love it. So I read a quotation from you where you said that the biggest hardships in history have also produced the greatest revivals in history. Do you sense that we're in one of those moments now and what do you think God is doing, saying, yeah, yeah, what's your sense of what's happening right now? Yeah, well, I mean, that quote I probably ripped off like someone like Robert Ferguson or someone like that. <laughs> yeah. 
But I do, when you look back, I mean, even with regards to the church, I mean, the church historically has exploded when it's been persecuted. And so I feel like this kind of shift, it has to represent some kind of catalyst because it's different. We have to think about what we're doing and we have to apply different kind of techniques. We have to be innovative. We're not meeting together, so we don't have the fellowship, kind of the ease of fellowship that we have had in the past. But we do have this amazing technology now that no one has ever had in history. And just like you and I are talking right now, you know, you're in the UK and I'm in Australia. I feel like we're learning how to be kind of better human beings. We're learning how to be a better church, I guess, and pastor our people without kind of being able to see them every week. And I do feel like when restrictions are lifted or whatever ends up happening, I do think that people will be so grateful for the church, not just because of who it is and and what the church does and all that kind of thing, but because I think we are caring for our world better. I think we're making ourselves more available online. We're, we're putting ourselves out there, wanting to be a little bit more a part of the conversation. You know, and, and obviously there's, there's COVID, but there's also the other kind of social and, and racial issues that are happening at the moment. And I feel like now's the time. We, the church, we can't, yes, no, we cannot be silent, but we can love people. Mm. And that's what we have to do. We have to listen and we have to love people. And I feel like that's, I feel like the church will do that. And I feel like the church will lead the way because we have to, this, these kind of, shifts they just can't be legislated they have to be led by people and that's why i'm excited for the church after you know through this season because i believe that in this moment we have an opportunity to be incredibly relevant with the truth you know and with this message of the gospel this message of love and i think that it's really important for us to be the church right now so what's inspiring you at the moment you said you're excited for going back to church you're excited about the season we're coming out of What's inspiring you? What is the thing that is changing you during the season? I feel like one thing I was thinking about the other day, which I'll go with this one because I think it's interesting, is kind of making a conscious effort or an active way of being more grateful. I guess this kind of gratitude thing. I have this thing where, you know, when you're driving through like the shops or whatever, you're with somebody and then they find a parking spot and they go, oh, thank you, Jesus, for this parking spot, you know, (laughs) like that. Like I'm the kind of person who goes, Jesus did not give you that parking spot. (laughs) Like <laughs> I just backed out and you just, and you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, so I'm wired like that, you know, but uh, I think I need to tell you the story because it's an incredible story. Right, I've, I've got a friend and he's an incredible guy and he posted on Twitter. He said, I just made a presentation to all my bosses with my fly down <laughs> like that. And he, you know, it was like this devastating thing. But then he said, lucky I was wearing black undies is what he said. <laughs> Because obviously he's wearing black trousers. So he said, lucky I was wearing black undies. And then he just said, hashtag favor, right? <laughs> and I just, and I, I loved it. I was laughing my head off and I was like, man, that's so funny. You'd hashtag favor. But then I, the, it was like one of those moments where I felt God rebuke me in the moment. Right. You know, because he was just like, well, if he's willing to give me credit for something, because I'm like, he put the underpants on. He put the black jeans on. Like, you know what I mean? Yep. But then I felt yep. God say, if he's willing to give me the credit for something as hilarious as, you know, having you fly down and, and all that kind of thing. I just felt God say, what's so hard to understand? Like, why can't wow. you give me credit for the small things? Yeah. And so um, I decided to make an effort with giving God credit, just finding ways to give God credit for things. And I just became one of those people, you know, the people who are like something completely random happens and they go, oh, thank you, Jesus, like that. And, and, but I now have become one of those people because I just noticed that it shifted my perspective Brilliant. and cultivating this kind of grateful 
perspective, it just completely changes. It just changes you. Like it really does. Like you start just going, you know, like, thanks God. Like, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, I did this thing where I was driving a car that was a manual, which are getting less and less kind of common over here. But, and what I would do is from the time that I would get from first gear to fourth gear, I'd find four things to be thankful for. That was my yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So I wouldn't do it the whole time I was driving. But, but when I first get in the car in the morning, so from first gear to fourth gear, I'm thinking about different things to be thankful for just as a practice or a, just a thing to do, you know. And that's what I'm excited about because in this moment, you know, you can be so frustrated. I mean, people right now, you know, people who already suffered with depression and all those kinds of things, you know, they're being kind of shut up in their homes without interactions. So there's a lot of people who have a lot to kind of be worried about. But I want to choose to cultivate Thanksgiving. I think that that's going to catapult me out the other side, just a better person and just more focused on the fact that God is sovereign, you know? And so that's what I'm excited for at the end of this whole thing. So, you know, did you read those things where like, if you haven't learned a new skill, if you haven't learned 15 languages, if you haven't, you know, become become a, a master craftsman in this COVID season, right. then you wasted your time. Like I- And I'm just trying to keep my kids alive. Exactly. And, I just, uh, I just, <laughs> homeschool. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm just trying to stay sane. But yeah, I've been just trying to cultivate Thanksgiving and it's actually getting really exciting because you now you're the annoying person that thanks Jesus for a parking space. But it's a mind shift. It completely shifts you. It transforms your thinking because your first thought, your go-to, you know, response to things changes. So it went from being cynical or negative to trying to figure out that's how God works. Like God turns that stuff around, you know, like, so I'm kind of excited about that. So here's an easy way to bring Hillsong quality to your live feed. You can take a typical board mix like this from a Sunday morning and run it through the new mixing template from Peter James. The template contains over 50 channels for all instruments and vocals and allows you to take your mix from this to sounding more like this. There's two templates to choose from, the mixing template, which requires no third-party plugins, and the mixing template pro, which includes presets for third-party plugins, drum samples, and even auto-tune presets. Check out the mixing template from Peter James on multitracks.com today. So good. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to practice being more thankful. And I'm going to make sure that the color of my underwear matches my jeans before I leave the house. <laughs> hey, it's a good strategy. It's a good strategy. If I can do those two things tomorrow, I'm winning that life. <laughs> Dan, I'm going to ask you a couple of uh, quicker fire questions for you. Yeah. Some of these have been submitted by friends of mine, who are also friends of yours at Hillsong. So the first question is, who's your favorite keyboardist and why is it David Andrew? <laughs> you can work out where that one came from. Yeah, yeah. That was quickly followed by, who's your favorite keyboardist and why is it Peter James? So right. I don't know if you want to settle that debate on the podcast yeah. now or if you want to stay away from that one. Well, you know, I love it when both of those guys are on the stage. So that's good. <laughs> nicely done one of those guys also submitted why do you follow the worst nrl team in the world question mark yeah and i'm not even sure what nrl is it's our rugby league um competition we live in the Parramatta area so i you know support Parramatta. those guys <laughs> don't even care about rugby league in the slightest <laughs> they're doing it just a poke right yeah yeah <laughs> which leads me on to the last question from one of those guys and it's can you tell me about the hokey pokey oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 
This is a good worship leader story. It's it's actually a good lesson. Okay. When I was in my home church back in New Zealand, just a young worship leader, you know, 17 years old. I might have been 18. I can't even remember. But it was, you know, winter and our church building was just an old grain store that had been converted into a church. So basically it was in a massive tin shed that they just yeah. put, you know, drywall up in ready-made church, you know. So it was freezing cold. In New Zealand, it gets a lot colder than in Australia. It's still not as cold as the UK, but it gets cold. <laughs> And so it's like, you know, middle of winter and people just walk in and they've got their big heavy coats on and they just stand there during worship and they just would just not respond at all. You know, it's like over the months, I would just get really fed up by it. So I'm like, this is not happening, you know. And so I get up there and I just go, you put your left leg in and and then I'm like, you know, the, the band is just looking at me and I'm turning around to the band. So if you're the band, I turn around and I'm just like, do it, do it. And the band are just like, oh man. So they follow me, you know, we start doing the hokey pokey and then basically the church is just looking at me like I am an alien, but I'm like, I just keep going. I'm making them do it. You know, by the time you get to right leg in, it's, um, <laughs> they're kind of like smiling, you know, they're like this guy, what is this guy doing? You know? Then they realize that I'm not going to stop and that, um, that they're going to have to eventually get involved. And so they start laughing and, you know, the senior pastor's looking at me like, you know, enjoy this. This is your last time worship leading ever kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, by the time we got to whole self in, it was absolute craziness. Like the whole church is like just absolutely laughing their heads off and just having a good old time. Everybody's loosened up, you know, like nobody cares about the cold or nobody cares about whatever they've brought into the room with them. They're just having a good time. Yeah. And then we go, that's what it's all about. big trash can and then we go into a time of worship when i think from memory it was really powerful um everybody was kind of on board that we'd broken down like we'd broken the ice so to speak and while i don't recommend that everybody you know tries to lead the (laughs) hokey pokey in their church it is kind of a good reminder that sometimes people just need to be jolted out of there every day because here's the thing right and i hope you don't mind me talking about this but people made the decision to come to church like they actually purposefully woke up, got their family ready. They got in the car, they drove across town, they found a parking space, they walked in, they found a seat. They did that on purpose. Nobody made them do it. So we have to understand that sometimes it's not the tough environment that we think it is. You know, they're not this kind of angry mob that we have to try and lead or impress every week. And so, so often we can feel like, oh man, we've got to lead worship and they never are into it. And it's like our 8am service, it's early. There's a lot of kind of retirees. There's a lot of kind of, you know, people who want to, you know, get church done early so they can get off and do what they need to do. And there's a lot of that. And, pe- and people hate leading at it because it's it can be tough sometimes. Right. And I kind of go, yeah, that's why we have worship leaders. You know that, right? Like, it's it's like if you lead Sunday night church and it goes awesome because all the youth are they come ready and they're frothing to just to just jump around and worship. You don't really need to be much of a leader to do that. Yeah. You know, like you can basically just walk out there, count them in, and then just walk off. So, but I do try and encourage our, a lot of our worship leaders that people come to church on purpose, like they made the decision to be there. And so nobody ever came to church in the hope of a negative experience. Nobody. Like, just think about it. No one comes to church going, I hope the band sucks. I hope the sound is bad. I hope the preacher can't communicate. You know, I hope the MC does something really awkward. But nobody does that. 
everybody who comes to church is hoping for a positive experience with God and with people. We just have to realize that and figure out how to unlock people with it, kind of how they come in. They come in in all kinds of states and that's our job. We get to help them find where Jesus is. And I feel like that's a really important thing for us as worship leaders to remember. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I trust that it has been helpful and inspiring to you. I loved my conversation with Jad. So much wisdom and yet again, so much gold shared by another incredible worship leader. I trust you're enjoying these series of podcasts that they're helping and inspiring you. And if so, I want to ask you for a favor. I'd love for you to click subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. But more importantly, why don't you drop us a little review? Give us a few stars, write a sentence or two to tell us how these podcasts are helping or inspiring you in your worship leading. Until next time, take care and God bless. And thank you for listening to the Worship and Technology Podcast.